G'day and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Rob. I'm Stephen. And yes, listeners, we have Stephen from the New to Who podcast on here to talk about episode 9 of series 12, Ascension of the Cybermen. How are you, Stephen? Rob, I'm very well. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for inviting me in Dave's absence. Huge honour. Again, thanks again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know Dave will be overseas somewhere at the time this goes out and listening with uh, great interest to what we have to say. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Dave listeners, I do have a brief comment from him on the episode, which we'll read towards the end of the show. Nice. Now, uh, we usually start with some opening thoughts, and these can be spoilerific. We just totally go for it, Steve. I'll go mm -hmm. first. Yeah, please. Because I've just jotted down here. My opening thoughts on this episode might be a bit controversial, given that this is the start of the big finale, and, and a lot happened, and my favourite adversaries, the Cybermen, are in it, and it was, it was decently written, and it had that whole storyline in Ireland, which was really interesting, and I had a lot of thoughts about, and the Master came back, and Gallifrey's in play, but here's the thing, I didn't think this was knock your socks off great. I thought it was good, but not great. Yeah, same. And in fact, I'm not even really? sure it's all that or it's all that good in places. Yeah, uh, as you say, a lot ha does happen. It sets up what is obviously going to be the last part of uh, series twelve, and I'm very much looking forward to that. And I know that it had a lot of heavy lifting to do as an episode, but you know, for all of that, all of the stuff that you just mentioned, which were ticked off, I actually don't think as a story it was uh, something that sort of unfolded at a pace that you know even caught my attention or grabbed you know held, held my interest for a sustained period of time not a fan mm, i think pacing might be a big part of it because oh, yeah. there are elements of this that i really liked i mean we can go all over the place here let's tease out the island storyline for example oh, yeah. i thought this was really interesting is this the first time we've been in ireland in doctor who oh that's a good question <laughs> i don't know I think, um i think it could be yeah yeah i think it might be as well you know um, and, and this, to me, was actually the most interesting part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Agree. I, I, I was looking at it, and I was thinking, you know, what, what do we think is, is happening here? You've got Brendan, this adopted child who can apparently survive death. He gets shot. He falls mm. off a cliff. Um, it, Brendan's father, at times, looked like the lone Cyberman to me, and I actually made a point of going ah. to look if it was the same actor. Yeah. But it's played by a different actor, but I don't know whether that's misdirection. And I thought, oh, does his father become the lone Cyberman? Because his father seemed quite cruel with what he was doing to Brendan at the end. Yeah. And what was he doing with Brendan at the end? Brendan has aged and retired, yet his dad and the old police sergeant showed up, looking like they did presumably 40 years earlier. Uh, yet Brendan didn't seem freaked out by that. Um, then they sort of tortured him. And I was thinking, hmm, what's going on here? There's three of them and there's a lone Cyberman and two other lieutenants. Do they become Cybermen? Is this, what is going on with this storyline, Steve? Do you, do you have any ideas? I've got some suspicions, yeah. I actually think that this is where uh, Gallifrey and the Time Lords escape to somehow, somewhere, and that they're all under oh. the uh, Chameleon Arch, and that's what we saw at the end. There was a lot of references visually to, um, uh, you know, the six-panelled windows of the TARDIS, uh, you know, there's a sustained metaphor of, of the police and, uh, you know, I guess the police box sort of ties in with that. But it's interesting what you say about it potentially being, um, you know, linked in some way to the Lone Cyberman. One of the first things that I thought when we saw in that second grab, I think it was, the second scene with Brendan and his dad where he goes to apply to be a policeman, 
mm. is a building that looks very much like uh, a cyber face. You've got the two sort of round windows up the top and it very much looks like Cyberman eyes to me. And that initially got me thinking that it may be somehow linked to the lone Cyberman. But I really do believe it is the last of the the Time Lords sort of in a pocket somewhere uh, living in a, a chameleon arch kind of existence. That's really interesting. And that could explain why they don't appear to have aged as well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you have that mystery at the beginning of, you know, the baby just sort of showing up. And it just put me in mind of uh, the Yana Master's origin story in Utopia where, uh, you know, supposedly mm-hmm. he was found as a baby and it just thought, oh, hang on a second. So that kind of got me thinking along those lines. That's right. I was found as a naked baby or something on the mm. banks of a river or I don't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. Ah, that's intriguing. And you say about the uh, the building, I was watching on a uh, smartphone in the office at lunchtime. Oh, gosh. So okay, yep. I, I haven't seen some of the finer details of this episode yet, I must admit. So that really intrigues me as well. Mm. But yeah, Time Lords. I've got some thoughts on that too, which I might tease out later on in the episode. But yes, that whole island storyline I found very different and very interesting. The rest of the episode seemed quite straightforward, like, oh... You know, there are humans running away from Cybermen, stuff's blowing up. But then we kept going back to Ireland, and it was just like, oh, this has got my attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, you know, there's a real, I don't know whether it's the way that it's shot or graded in terms of the film or whatever, but there's a real sort of lyrical, dreamlike quality around this. Mm. Uh, it's almost like a haven. And again, you know, a haven to which the Time Lords perhaps escape to. Yeah, very, very much beautifully lit and beautifully shot and slowly paced and rather inconsequential and so at odds with the rest of the narrative. It just made me feel like, you know, this got some uh, significance here. The other thing, I guess, um, around Ireland is that, you know, two or three times, I think it's in the hand of fear and also in human nature, it's mentioned that Gallifrey's, you know, possibly an island, like people mistake it for being an island. And that was another thing that just made me think about about that link. Ah, of course. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let, let's rattle along. Um, are there any topics you want to look at? Because I know I want to talk about the fam, but is there anything you want to throw in into the mix? No, no, I think that's a good place to start. Let's start with the fam. Okay, I found the fam in this episode to be written in a really interesting way. It was quite... They were quite spiky in places, mm-hmm. and they felt they were out of their depth. And the other humans kind of thought they were a bit of a a bit of a joke, you know, with the way they bumbled in with this homemade gear and it didn't work, and people mm-hmm. got killed. You know, it it kind of made for uncomfortable sort of viewing, but in a good way. I, I found this very different to to anything else we've had in the Chibnall era with these uh, with these folks. Yeah, look, I think they sort of certainly had enough to do. Um, each of them sort of, you know, coming in with their, whether it was a neural inhibitor, which is probably a nod to the invasion, the gold dispersal mm-hmm. unit, a nod to revenge or the force field um, that Ryan had. So I feel like they sort of had a part to play. It was interesting in the way in which it all sort of fell over really quickly. Put me in mind of, um, you know, Davison's doctor, who is very fallible. And, and again, we saw that with Jodie as well. And, and maybe even at the expense of her, her companions here, which is obviously what we saw also in season 19. So getting really early Davo vibes uh, um, from this story in some ways. Yeah, which isn't a bad thing at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and, and it's kind of funny because back even in series 11, I think people 
uh, on the uh, the Jody and Terror podcast, and and us from mm-hmm. time to time said there were some sort of Davison parallels, and not just because mm-hmm. it was a pretty blonde doctor, you know, there was something a sure. bit deeper that was a bit Davo like. Yeah, it's that fallibility, I guess, that we see in both of those. Hmm. Exactly. Now that gear got all smashed up by a bunch of cyber drones. I want to say the cyber drones look silly. This idea of these flying Cybermen helmets. Uh, I mean. When Cybermen make technology like cyber mats, they make them different to themselves. They've created other things in the past that are different to themselves. I I found this kind of a bit odd, a bit cheap, just to have flying helmets. How did you feel about them? I, I don't think it landed either. I think it was meant to be terrifying, um, but it is undone by all, that sort of almost comical aspect to them. What would have been truly terrifying, even when you have something comical, is to turn it into something absolutely sinister. So I was half expecting for those cyber helmets to sort of attach to humans' heads and then convert them. That was my initial idea um, oh, of what was going to wow. happen here. And that would have been absolutely gruesome. And I guess, you know, you know, paints that picture that, you know, these are the last of the cybermen. They're desperate to up their numbers. And how do they do that? They convert them. Uh, you know, Jody was saying uh, at one point in that first act as well, if they capture you, they'll they'll convert you. And I was sort of expecting mm. expecting that, but it never quite happened. And as a result, it did seem a bit, yeah, computer game-ish and uh, didn't quite land for me either, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, I had sort of Sound of Drums vibes with the way those um, toclophane, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, would fly around. It. That. Yeah. And they actually had like... A, heads human remains in the in the spheres and such mm. and that was quite scary yeah uh this was almost a, a retake on that and I, I just didn't think it came off as well but anyway it's a small thing i just i just made a note about it as i was uh as i was no, going no, and, through and fair enough too yeah another thing i made a note about this and it was it's one of the few bits of dialogue i did make a note about ryan saying do you need help with that kid to to one of the humans and i thought I'm hitting my mid-40s here, Stephen, and, you know, I'm, I'm just getting to the stage where I might call someone kid in real life. You know, if they're really, <laughs> if they're really young, if they're a teenager and I'm trying to be a bit alpha and stuff, I might call someone kid. You know, I still feel a bit Han Solo doing it, you know, like, oh, hey, kid, <laughs> you know. Um, and so Ryan's saying it at his age to a guy not much younger than him. I found that quite a weird writing choice. That really stood out to me, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't pick that one. It is odd that he would say it as a nineteen-year-old, but maybe, and I, I don't know. Maybe our listeners can can correct me. Is it a northernism? Like I know that um, Liam Gallagher, for instance, was was called our kid, uh, and probably still is, I think, um, by people who know him. I just wonder is that is that just something like a term of endearment in the north? I'm not sure. It certainly is. Yeah, I, I remember. Um fans of the smiths when i was going up would refer to johnny marr as our kid and they didn't even yeah. know johnny marr you know yeah, so i know true. there's a there's a term like mm. that but anyway i'll move on from that the other humans um they were fairly generic yeah they were ravio or ravio and, and graham were an interesting pair and as soon as she showed some interest in graham i thought oh yeah she's gonna die or he's gonna die or they're both gonna <laughs> die now now that that's come up did you notice that sort of slight romance going on I definitely did, and I think out of all of them, um, Ravio seems to be the most developed. I agree with you on the other points that the others really just non-entities. Ethan, I had to go back and actually sort of check the credits and whatever else to make sure that I've got the right names or whatever, but, you know, the likes of Ethan and Yedlami and, is it Fuskal or whatever? These are names, these are Chibnall names they are, you know, entirely (laughs) forgettable, and it's coupled with the sort of lack of characterization that comes with it. 
Um, Yedlami and, and Fuskal were, you know, the brothers, obviously, and, and Yedlami, I think, is the older one, and Fuskal is the is the younger one, who's, you know, sort of doesn't mm. talk much anymore. He says, and instead of showing us that, instead of showing us that dynamic or the way in which the the younger brother, you know, is is shy or awkward or doesn't engage or has been sort of, you know, suffering from PTSD in some regards, we just have Yedlami tell us, and it's like, well. Why, why didn't we get that in some regards? Um, mm. and, and I know we're, we're pressed for time, but at the same time, this is, a, this is a story that doesn't move particularly well in terms of its pacing. It does, it does stall in places. And I just sort of thought we could have had a moment like that instead of just being told. And we just get this again and again with Chibnall, and we certainly got it again here. Yeah. An inability to flesh out um, you know, supporting characters and, and name them in ways that are absolutely impossible to remember. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say you looked up the names. I did too. I went to Wikipedia to sort okay. of refresh yeah. uh, who who was who in the zoo. And there were so many characters. I was like actually at a loss as to who some of them were. Yeah. I agree. And this isn't the <laughs> And I watched the episode either. half an hour earlier. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And, Crazy. Yeah, just, it is frustrating when, the, when that sort of thing happens. Mm. Uh, special shout out though to Ravia. She's played by Julie Graham, mm-hmm. who was Megan Hartnell, uh, not spelled the same as William Hartnell, but she was Megan Hartnell in At Home with the Braithwaites, which was a Peter Davison series oh, back in I the day. That. Yeah, was that like early 2000s, I think? It would have been around 99, 2000, something like that. I so remember that, yes. She, she was like the sexy neighbour. Right. Uh, in at home with the Braithwaite. I thought, <laughs> I know this person. Where do I know her from? Good it's from a Davo show. Yeah, Good spot. <laughs> but the other humans, we, we mentioned they're fairly generic and such, but there's one, well, we assume he's human because this might tie into your theory, Steve. Ko Shamus. Hmm. He's, he's in robes. He's sort of a wizard. He can... Uh, he can take people to this place where there's this uh, uh, thing that comes out of the sea. It looks quite spectacular. And I thought, is he really telling the truth that he doesn't know what this is? Or tying into your theory, is he a Time Lord? Yeah. And he knows to go there, but he doesn't know what it is. Yeah, I think that's possibly the case. Um, I, I'm not sure where this sort of lands. But the other thing is the, the location where Koshamas was very much similar to the sort of fake Balakis Angel Irish village that we saw earlier as well with the cliffs and the way in which Brendan's shot and falls over them. Is this mm-hmm. the same place, you know, separated by millennia and millennia? I'm not sure, or is it just not particularly great, um, uh, you know, location shooting, the fact that they sort of doubled up for it and maybe tried to make it look a little bit different. But, you know, it sort of looked a bit broad churchy and I'm not sure whether it was meant to be the same place or not. I have no idea, but I really liked him as a character, and I thought there's got to be something more to this guy. Mm, yeah, surely he looks like a monk. He looks like a wizard. You know, he he had such a beautiful way of acting the part as well. I was really taken in by his character, actually. Yeah, I got. Uh, I'm not even a Star Wars fan in any way. I apologize, but I got Obi Wan Kenobi sort of vibes from him. Uh, yeah, was, you know, sort of like a wise uh, sage or or seer who just sort of. You know, helped others along their way, and yeah, maybe maybe that's. Uh, I think it might be. You know, someone, uh, an old time lord that's been sort of chameleon arched and left behind. But to to what end? To send people back to Gallifrey? Possibly, I I don't yeah. know why they do that if it's all smashed up. Hmm. Hmm. That's yeah. That that's interesting. Davo vibes. We've got to talk surely about the massive Earthshock vibes on that oh, cyber ship. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the space <laughs> freight. I was expecting to see Beryl Reed at any moment. <laughs> exactly. I mean, when they come out of hibernation and, and all those doors open, they step out, I thought, oh, that's like that mirror effect in Earthshock, except done a million times better. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good, yeah. As a spectacle, uh, it, it looked amazing. Yeah, and the new style of cyber helmet, which I guess yeah. they're passing off as a as a a soldier cyberman or something. They they gave it a particular name. Mm. A I warrior was quite class int- or something. Yeah, warrior class. That's the one. Yeah, I was I was quite intrigued by this. But what was with the lone cyberman going feral on that first cyberman out of hibernation? I thought he might have been modifying him somehow. I thought the same. Um, yeah. But I think he was just going nuts and torturing it for some reason. <laughs> it was odd. Um, it was certainly effective. Um, there's that line that we sort of get, um, I forget who it's from, and, um, you know, it's that this we've got a Cyberman on board who makes other Cybermen scream, so it's meant to be, you know, obviously ominous and whatever else. Mm. Uh, and, and it kind of landed for me, but I didn't see the purpose of it, and we don't get that treatment on other Cybermen. It's like not not a way that you know the others are sort of uh, revived or whatever so unless it gets explained next episode i think it was just there for a bit of a cheap cheap thrill and a and a scare which is a little yeah. disappointing because I, I did feel it stuck out a bit even though it looked pretty cool yeah i i agree that's why i thought oh is he is he modifying him is he maybe putting a chip in him to make him loyal to him or yeah, something yeah. Or, sure. or is there something to it but yeah you you're right it could just be a cheap thrill <laughs> Um, and that's all. <laughs> Interesting. The Master appears at the end again, and I thought, oh, the Master and the Cybermen again? You know, we had the Death in Heaven two-parter, the World Enough and Time two-parter, now this two-parter. The Master and the Cybermen seem to be tied together a lot in recent who? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I feel like, um, you know, the... the Doctor Falls two-parter was amazing and and definitely sort of mm. warranted uh, the alignment of those two sort of iconic villains and monsters of, of Doctor Who of yore. But how's it going to work in this instance? Like we don't we don't know just yet. So I'm just going to sort of hold off. But yeah, it, it does kind of feel like it's repeating itself in some regards. That we've had you know the end of uh, what is it Series Eight uh, and Series uh, Ten and now Series yeah. Twelve uh, sort of you know pairing those two again. Yeah, and I mean, I love the Cybermen. Don't don't get me wrong by any means, but it's just it's just a weird pairing to come up every couple of seasons, literally. For yeah. you know, anyway, where do we think this is all going, Steve? Because I was really surprised that the Master and Gallifrey are back in play. I think I even said on last week's show to Dave when we were speculating, spitballing mm-hmm. about what was going to happen. I said, look, I think some of it will fall over to the next series. I don't think he'll throw everything into the finale. I think, you know, some things will eke out in the next series. But no, we've got The Master, we've got Gallifrey, we've got Cybermen. And we know this final episode is going to be called The Timeless Children. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So here comes your theory into play, I guess, about Gallifrey. I think it's it's all in play now. I think so as well. And I kind of um, anticipated this would be the case um, when I first saw the the uh, episode titles. Um, you know, we have mm. the, the Villa of Diodati immediately made me think of, um, you know, that uh, story that we got and obviously the inspiration for Frankenstein. Frankenstein immediately thought of, um, you know, the lone Cyberman prophecy, which we got in mm-hmm. the, the um, Fugitive of the Jadun. That made sense. Ascension of the Cybermen sort of posits this idea that the lone Cybermen will 
you know, raise an army. And then from there, the Timeless Children obviously speaks to what we saw, I think, way back in episode one and two of Spyfall about um, about Gallifrey. So I, I kind of sort of anticipated that this would be the trend over these three episodes. I'm fully anticipating a Gallifrey kind of story or a Time Lord story, mm. along with the um, the Cybermen and the Master next next week as well. I just hope it all sort of comes together neatly because at the moment it, it does seem a bit, uh, well, a, a bit loose, I guess. Yeah. One theory I saw online, let me throw this one at you, is that Gallifrey is created from the human survivors of the Cyber Wars and regeneration somehow comes from Brendan's ability not to die. The Master therefore loathes having human blood and that's why he destroys Gallifrey. Or on the flip side of the coin is Brendan the Lone Cyberman. This lovely guy becomes something so terrible. There are so many theories out there, you know. Oh, gosh. Look, I'm, I'm hoping it's not the first instance that you outlined this idea that, um, you know, Time Lords are, uh, you know, humans of the, the far future. Is, uh, I mm. think it's a, it's a dramatically unsatisfying one. I think it was done in like a Doctor Who annual a long time ago. And, you know, those stories are never any good anyway. Um, I, I really, <laughs> really, really hope that's not the case because it's just ultimately unfulfilling and I don't think it's a... Um, it warrants the the season arc and the setting up of that, um, particularly after I guess what we what we knew and understood of Gallifrey after um, Hellbent. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it'd be pretty disappointing if that is the reason why it was sort of brought back and we got an entire series worth of lead up to something that is so pretty I don't know uninspiring. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree with that, but something's got to have ticked the master off. To, to go and destroy Gallifrey based on this lie, you know. Possibly, so yeah. I, I was taken by that idea of the Master has human blood. He would absolutely loathe that. But who knows? Who knows? Mm. <laughs> now, I promised at the start of the episode, I've got comments from Dave on the episode, and this actually has a question in it. So let me get to this before yeah, we go yeah. to the sports desk. Sure. Everyone, Dave has said, overall, a fun adventure, which once again looked great, and a truly bleak field. Jodie strong and understated, which I'm loving more and more. Mm-hmm. I did, however, feel it lacked meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. And I also struggled to buy the idea of there only being seven humans left in the galaxy. Uh, the setup for next week is exciting, but my worry is that it'll cram too much in. Overall, actually, I might hold his score off until we score at the end. Sure. But his question here is, did anyone else get a Holocaust morals vibe from the episode A Displaced and Massacred People Seeking a Homeland and Being Rejected? Talk soon. That's interesting. Hmm. I certainly didn't at at face value. No, but it's an interesting read, though. I like that, Dave. Yeah, I'm going to have to give that some more thought, particularly after I watch the episode again, Mm -hmm. maybe with that in mind. But it is interesting. It is an interesting idea. Yeah, very much so. Hadn't thought of it. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's it for Dave, aside from his score, which we'll give at the end. Uh, Stephen, shall we go off to the sports desk? Let's do it. Okay, here we are at the Sports Desk where we look at the play of the week, the foul of the week, and the MVP of the week. Stephen, hit me with your play of the week. 
Well, as I sit here in that green jacket tailored specifically for me, the play of the week for me is the Brendan subplot. That absolutely is the highlight of this uh, episode for me. Um, it shows Chibnall, I guess, um, perhaps cryptically sort of suggesting to us what happened to the Time Lords mm-hmm. and, and showing us in a way that is not telling. So um, I'm, I'm pleased with that one more than anything else in this one, I think, the Brendan subplot. Brilliant, and that's a snap from me. I, I jotted down <laughs> the uh, the storyline in Ireland. I just found so intriguing, mm. and uh, I didn't even go off into that Time Lord sort of area with it, but I can totally see where you're coming from, and, and it really excites me if that's true. But I just found it such a juxtaposition with what else was going on and such a new place to be and a, a bit of a mystery. Yeah. And I thought, this is great. I, I'm loving this part of the storyline. So, yeah, snap, snap there for me. <laughs> Moving on to Foul of the Week, I might take the lead on this one Mm -hmm. and say there's a middle section of this story with a lot of talking and not a lot of action, and I just think, wow, you know, you've got this big story to tell, you've got some great actors available on screen, but I feel like we're treading water in places. Completely. This, This could be tighter, I feel like we could be really going for it, and that's got to be my foul, I think. Yeah, it's my foul as well, and a red card um, coupled for a second yellow card, which is a lack of true tension, particularly in that second act, as you say. Um, there are three subplots, only two of which sort of meet together at the end into what will essentially be a fourth plot strand, which we'll see next week. So that wasn't particularly um, satisfying. But as you say, the treading of the water, it almost felt like we were marking time to get to the 50th minute mark, at which point we would have, you know, the Cybermen resurrected and the Master and, Gall- and Gallifrey back. And, you know, those two are now about to clash in, in the sort of apocalyptic finale. And that's great and good, but for at least 20, 25 minutes of that 50-minute uh, episode, I didn't really sort of see the, the tension and I, I, I kind of, my mind kind of wandered, to be honest. Well, that's uh, that's two snaps now. I wonder yeah. if we can go for a third. Who was your Who was your MVP, Stephen? Uh, it's Evan McCabe as Brendan. I was just so totally taken by that performance and that subplot and just the sort of, you know, like I said, the sort of fake uh, belly kiss angel kind of vibe to it, uh, and and very much sort of taken with the idea that this could be a, a Gallifrey, um, an Irish Gallifrey, I guess, where the Time Lords have, have um, sought a haven. So Evan McCabe is my MVP for this week. Okay, not a snap. Okay. <laughs> that would have been too freaky if we had three out of three. I think so. <laughs> MVP for me was interesting because I thought no one really stood up for me to be counted in particular. Um, Whitaker mm. was angry and moody, and some people have liked that. Dave mentioned liking that, for example, but I wasn't totally into that performance. And I think my MVP of the week will surprise people given what I've just said about the foul of the week and that all that dead space in the uh, in the episode and you know Chibnall's writing could be tighter because mm-hmm. I'm going to give MVP of the week to Chris Chibnall okay. <laughs> um, and this is because I think he's really grabbed the bull by the horns here and written something that overall has my interest it was intriguing it's verging towards wanting to be epic I think depending on what happens next week and especially after series 11 was so small and even boring at times to really go for it here and not die wondering yeah okay you yeah. know even yeah. if he even if he's not got it right i think oh i think i have to applaud that because he's he's gone for it but mm. will he land it that's the other question 
that's what I'm waiting to see, definitely. I have high hopes uh, for the way in which this entire series uh, pans out, and I hope my fears aren't realised. Um, I'm looking forward to next week very much. Yeah, me too. So, look, to summarise, Dave's score for this episode was an 8 out of 10. For me, to summarise, I'm just going to return to what I said about this at the start of the podcast. This had so much in it and a lot of things that I like, but I think more than ever with a two-parter, I really do need to see the second part for it to really pay off. Yeah. So I'm also giving it an eight, and that actually feels slightly high to me, but I think it might earn it. The the island stuff and the Koshamas thing are what's really selling this to me, which is which is heresy for me as a Cyberman fan to say that, and not mention the Cyberman, but it, it, it's island and Koshamas at the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I can see why you guys have scored it both as eight. Yep, and that's fair. Mm. Uh, I have to say, though, I probably couldn't give this much more than a six and a half, uh, largely yeah. because there was you know, a good 20, 25 minutes there where nothing actually happened and we could have gone pretty much from Act 1 through to Act 3 with, with a lot of Act 2 just cut out on t- entirely. Yeah, yeah, look, I agree. So I'm delighted, Stephen, that you're going to be here in the hot seat again next week and we can talk about this second part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like a good thing to have some continuity of presenters across these episodes. I can't wait and uh, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on the pod again, Rob. Thanks very much. Yeah. Oh, look, d- delighted, absolutely delighted. But until next week where we look at the timeless children, I've been Rob. And I'm Stephen. And we'll see you then. Be seeing you. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.